صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, listeners, and uh, thank you for joining us again for another show, Palestine Remembered on 3CR. And don't forget, you can uh, share and look up our podcasts. Our previous couple of podcasts have been fantastic and very well received. Um, listeners all over the world, so be sure to go to 3cr.org.au and podcast and share the podcasts with your friends and let's grow our listenership. Um, joining you from Melbourne and um, COVID-19, coronavirus is going crazy. Um, we're sparing a thought, obviously, to um, the Palestinians within historic Palestine who are struggling desperately under the conditions of a lockdown in the West Bank. Um, now some two weeks in Bethlehem, um, unfortunately, um, some pilgrims from Greece uh, brought uh, corona in um, and the economy there and, and, and the restrictions on the travel movement have been exacerbated, not only by the occupation but also because of the need to... Um, really, you know, dampen the, the, the curve, if you will. Um, we have a situation, though, of two million people in Gaza and um, just waiting for the horrible news of COVID getting in there. Uh, and the concept of social distancing, of creating one and a half metres between yourself and anybody else so as to ensure that there is no infection, um, that really is a challenge. And it's a challenge for two million people in Gaza who don't have access to the outside world, an air, sea, land blockade, they don't have the space. If you put two and a half million people, or two million people, excuse me, and created a one and a half metre uh, diameter around each of those people, that doesn't actually exist. So you have a situation where it, inevitably, once it gets in there, it's going to spread like wildfire. Add into the fact that the reality of uh, a health system that's been crippled by this ongoing blockade with four hours of sporadic electricity, without um, the, the necessary staple requirements of a hospital to have, without COVID-19 tests. Uh, I read a report earlier on in this week that said that Israel's allocated 19 tests to go into Gaza. Um, when you put all that together, what we are talking about, God forbid, is a disaster that nobody could imagine. And it might be, you know, harking back to medieval times. So, Our thoughts and prayers are with those people in Gaza and God willing, uh, your steadfastness will be rewarded and hopefully, you know, one of the side effects of the Gaza blockade might be that COVID doesn't get in and the, the Gazans who are under such cruel conditions might actually be spared this curse. I don't think so and I doubt it and we'll never forgive the Israelis for, for doing it and the complicity of the rest of the world for allowing it to go on for so long. As Palestinians, we always look forward optimistically with hope and expectation, and it might be that this, this new reality for the rest of the world, which is Gaza day by day for the past 14 years, might awaken the world to the tragedy that is occurring in Gaza right under everybody's eyes. So our thoughts and prayers are with you, Gazans. We love you. You're an inspiration to us all and to all people of faith and dignity around the world. I'm here for other children. 
I'm here because I care. I'm here because children everywhere are suffering and because 40,000 people die each day from hunger. I'm here because those people are mostly children. We have got to understand that the poor are all around us and we're ignoring them. We have got to understand that these deaths are preventable. We have got to understand that people in third world countries think and care and smile and cry just like us. We have got to understand that they are us. We are them. My dream is to stop hunger by the year 2000. My dream is to give the poor a chance. My dream is to save the 40,000 people who die each day. My dream can and will come true if we all look into the future and see the light that shines there. That was Rachel Corey, who was 10 when she read that at a fifth grade press conference on world hunger. Many of our listeners will know who Rachel Corey is. For those that don't, Rachel Corey was a, an American activist, a peace activist from Olympia in Washington. As, tw- as a 23-year-old, she stood in front of a Caterpillar bulldozer, a D9 bulldozer, manufactured by Caterpillar specifically for the Israeli army to be able to crush homes and create a defensive position for the Israelis. Rachel Corey stood in front of that bulldozer in a high-vis fluorescent jacket, orange jacket, there's video of it, in front of that bulldozer, endeavouring to protect the home of some Palestinians in Gaza. The Israeli soldier driving that bulldozer claimed he never saw her. The reality is, he drove over her in this huge house-sized bulldozer, D9 bulldozer from Caterpillar, which is why we should boycott, divest and sanction Caterpillar for its involvement, drove over Rachel Corey and killed her on the 16th of March 2003. She was 23 years old. She'd be a 40-year-old woman now. That was her age 10 in a press conference in her school. By 23, she was dead. The world lost a truly great humanitarian that day, and we're all the poorer for her passing. And we're poorer for her passing, but also we're poorer for the fact that no justice was ever done for Rachel. Um, Her parents sought justice through the Israeli uh, criminal system, through the courts, but sadly got nothing. It's not new for Palestinians to understand the barbarity of the only democracy in the world and its judicial system and the fact that it doesn't actually give uh, any justice to Palestinians. And just as a side note, um, the only conviction for an Israeli sniper uh, on the Gaza fence since Land Day uh, last year, the only conviction is to a, a sniper for shooting a sheep. Not one sniper has been prosecuted for crimes against humanity. But Rachel died now 17 years ago this week. She would have been 40 years old today. She's venerated in uh, Palestine. She's loved. She's a hero to Palestinians. Stick around and listen to more of Rachel's story. Rachel came to Gaza during part of her senior year of college, an assignment that connected her hometown uh, of Olympia with Rafah in Palestine. Uh, She'd engaged with other international uh, movements, but in fact in Palestine she engaged with the International Solidarity Movement and their activists. And efforts there were to prevent the uh, continued demolition of Palestinian homes. Um, The uh, Israelis obviously claiming that those homes that were getting demolished were to eliminate weapons smuggling. We're going to listen to Rachel again. This time she's being interviewed in Gaza by the International Solidarity Movement. I've been here for about a month and a half now, and... This is definitely the most difficult situation that I've ever seen. Um, 
in the time that I've been here, um, children have been shot and killed. Um, on the 30th of January, the Israeli military bulldozed the two largest water wells, um, destroying over over half of Rafa's water supply. Um, every few days, if not every day, houses are, are demolished here. Um, people are economically devastated because of the closure of the borders into Egypt and the extreme control of the Gazan economy by Israel. Um, I saw it. I came to um, to look at the aftermath of a place where 25 greenhouses had been demolished on the other side of Rafa, um, destroying the livelihoods of about 300 people. Uh, and that had taken place while they rounded up about 150 men, uh, held them under a sniper tower, and, and shot around them to contain the men, the farmers in the area. Um, so I feel like what I'm witnessing here is a very systematic um, destruction of people's ability to survive, um, and that is incredibly horrifying. It's incredibly horrifying. Sometimes um, it takes a while for it to set in what is happening here, um, because I think many of the people here they try to maintain what they can of their lives. And I think, I don't know, maybe it has to do with protecting their children, that they try to be happy, um, joke with their children. So sometimes it takes, um, it takes time to, to, it's hard to hold in your mind, you know, the, the complete reality of what's happening here. Sometimes I'm sitting down to, dinner with people and I just realized that um, that there is a massive military machine surrounding them and trying to kill these people that I'm having dinner with, these families that I'm sitting down to, to eat with and who are being very generous and kind to me and their children here who are incredibly threatened, um, living lives that no child ever should have to live um, and and so it I feel a lot of horror really I feel a lot of horror about the situation the current Israeli government I don't have a great deal of, of faith that that they're gonna listen to any message from me um, I think it has become clear that their, this government does not care about the safety of its own people and doesn't care at all about the lives of Palestinian people. Um, I think it's, a, it's ridiculous that my government supports this government and referred to Ariel Sharon as a man of peace. Um, it's clear to me, being here, that Ariel Sharon is invested in perpetuating a cycle, well, perpetuating violence. Um, I think calling it a, a cycle of violence disregards the imbalance of power in this situation, that people's lives here are almost completely controlled by the Israeli government. And it's amazing that people are able to hold on to their humanity as much as they have. Amazing insights and thoughts from a very young lady. The reality is they were supporting Ariel Sharon then. Uh, we support Netanyahu today. 
the continuing inhumanity that is the Israeli occupation and the open-air prison that is Gaza is continuing. Nothing's changed, not the sacrifice of Rachel Corrie, nor the many tens and hundreds and thousands of Palestinians that have died in Gaza since then. Uh, Rachel, we salute you, and I'm going to read some of the emails Rachel sent to her parents from Gaza, and this will speak to that humanity that we loved. This was written by Rachel from Gaza in February of 2003. Hi, friends and family. I've been in Palestine for two weeks and one hour now, and I still have very few words to describe what I see. It's most difficult for me to think about what's going on here when I sit down to write back to the United States. Something about the virtual portal into luxury. I don't know if many of the children here ever existed without tank shell holes in their walls and towers of an occupying army surveying them constantly from the near horizons. I think, although I'm not entirely sure, that even the smallest of these children understand that life is not like this everywhere. An eight-year-old was shot and killed by an Israeli tank two days before I got here, and many of the children murmur his name to me, Ali, or point to the posters of him on the walls. The children will also love to get me to practice my limited Arabic by asking me, Kif Sharon, Kif Bush, and they'll laugh when I say, Bush Majnun, Sharon Majnun, how's Sharon, how's Bush? Bush is crazy, Sharon's crazy, back in my limited Arabic. Of course this isn't quite what I believe, and some of the adults who have the English correct me. Bush Mishmajnun, Bush is a businessman. Today I tried to learn to say Bush is a tool, but I don't think it translated quite right. But anyway, there are eight-year-olds here much more aware of the workings of the global power structure than I was just a few years ago. Nevertheless, no amount of reading, attendance at conferences, documentary viewing and word of mouth could have prepared me for the reality of the situation here. You just can't imagine it unless you see it. And even then you're always well aware that your experience of it is not at all the reality. What with the difficulties the Israeli army would face if they shot an unarmed US citizen, and with the fact that I have money to buy water when the army destroys wells, and the fact, of course, that I have the option of leaving. Nobody in my family has been shot driving their car by a rocket launcher from a tower at the end of a major street in my hometown. I have a home. I'm allowed to see the ocean. Ostensibly, it is quite difficult for me to be held for months or years on end without trial. This is because I am white, a US citizen, as opposed to so many others. When I leave for work or school, I can be relatively certain that there'll be no heavily armed soldier waiting halfway between me and Mud Bay and downtown Olympia at checkpoint with the power to decide whether I can go about my business and whether I can get home again when I'm done. So I feel outraged at arriving and entering briefly and incompletely into the world in which these children exist. I wonder, conversely, about how it would be for them to arrive in my world. They know that children in the United States don't usually have their parents shot, and they know that sometimes they get to see the ocean. But once you've seen the ocean and lived in a silent place where water is taken for granted and not stolen in the night by bulldozers, and once you've spent an evening when you haven't wondered if the walls of your home might suddenly fall inward on you from your sleep, and once you've met people who've never lost anyone, and once you've experienced the reality of a world that isn't surrounded by murderous towers, tanks, armed settlers, settlements, and now a giant metal wall, I wonder if you can forgive the world for all the years of your childhood spent existing, just existing, in resistance to the constant stranglehold of the world's fourth largest military, backed by the world's only superpower. 
It's an attempt in its attempt to erase you from your home. That is the something I wonder about these children. I wonder what would happen if they really knew. As an afterthought to all this rambling, I'm in Rafa, a city of about 140,000 people, approximately 60% of whom are refugees, many of whom are twice or three times refugees. Rafa existed prior to 1948, but most of the people here are themselves or the descendants of people who were relocated from their homes in historic Palestine, now Israel. Rafah was split in half when the Sinai returned to Egypt. Currently, the Israeli army is building a 14-metre-high wall between Rafah in Palestine and the border, carving no-man's land from the houses along that border. 602 homes have been completely bulldozed, according to the Rafah Popular Refugee Committee. The number of homes that must have been partially destroyed is even greater. I continue to believe that my home, Olympia, could gain a lot and offer a lot by deciding to make a commitment to Rafah in the form of a sister-community relationship. Some teachers and children's groups have expressed an interest in email exchanges, but this is only tip of the iceberg of solidarity work that might be needed to be done. Many people want their voices to be heard, and I think we need to use some of our privilege as internationals to get those voices heard directly in the United States, rather than through the filter of well-meaning internationals such as myself. I'm just beginning to learn from what I expect to be very intense tutelage about the ability of people to organise against all odds and to resist against all odds. That's an excerpt from one of Rachel's emails. But even in that, we can see as a 23-year-old just how aware she was of her privilege, of the need to get Palestinian voices to the forefront to talk about Palestine. But understanding also of her own privilege and the humanity of this young woman to give all that up and go to Palestine, to travel to Palestine and to speak on behalf of the Palestinians. This continues to speak to the great loss we suffered when we lost Rachel. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to three cr.org.au and get in touch. And this last email that Rachel sent, sent to her grandfather. Hi, Papa. Thank you for her email. I feel like sometimes I spend all my time propagandizing Mum and assuming she'll pass stuff on to you so you get neglected. Don't worry about me too much right now. I am most concerned that we are being effective. I still don't feel particularly at risk. Rafa has seemed calmer lately, maybe because the military is preoccupied with incursions in the north. Still shooting in house demolitions, one death this week that I know of, but not any larger incursions. Still can't see, still can't say how this will change if and when the Iraq war comes. Thanks for stepping up your anti-war work. 
I know it's not easy to do and probably much more difficult where you are than where I am. I'm really interested in talking to the journalist in Charlotte. Let me know what I can do to speed the process along. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I leave here and when I'm going to leave. Right now, I think I could stay until June financially. I really don't want to move back to Olympia, but do need to go back there to clean my stuff out of the garage and talk about my experiences here. On the other hand, now that I've crossed the ocean, I'm feeling a strong desire to try and stay across the ocean for some time. Considering trying to get English teaching jobs, would like to really buckle down and learn Arabic. Also got an invitation to visit Sweden on my way back, which I think I could do very cheaply. I'd like to leave it off with a viable plan to return too. One of the core members of our group has to leave tomorrow, and watching her say goodbye to people is making me realise how difficult, difficult it will be. People here can't leave, so that complicates things. They are also pretty matter-of-fact about the fact that they don't know if they'll be alive when we come back here. I really don't want to live with a lot of guilt about this place. Being able to come and go so easily and not going back, I think it's valuable to make commitments to places, so I'd like to be able to plan on coming back here within a year or so. Sadly, Rachel never left Gaza. Her spirit died there, with so many other Palestinians crushed under the heavy boot of Israeli occupation. Her family never held her again, never felt her warm embrace. Rachel's death was another waste of life, another cheap life to the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Amazingly, well, it wouldn't be amazing, you'd have to expect that somebody like Rachel came from amazing people. Rachel's parents have continued their fight for justice for the Palestinians, and they set up the Rachel Corey Foundation. And you can find more details about Rachel at rachelcoreyfoundation.org, rachelcoreyfoundation.org. I'd commend our listeners to go and see some more information about Rachel there. Rachel's parents published a letter on the anniversary of her death, and I'd like to read that to you today. Today marks the 17th anniversary of our daughter Rachel Stand in Gaza. In March 2003, as in this March, the world's attention was not on Gaza. Then it was on the impending US attack on Iraq. Now it's on COVID-19 pandemic. With Rachel's killing, our focus quickly turned to Palestine, and particularly to the people of Rafah who were introduced to us through Rachel's emails home. Yes, we were acutely aware that so many families in Iraq, as well as those of US soldiers, would suffer losses. But within that maelstrom, our voice, our commitment and our work turned to Gaza. On March 12th, in what would be her last email to us, Rachel wrote, I'd like to leave Rafa with a viable plan to return. One of the core members of our group has to leave tomorrow, and watching her say goodbye to people is making me realise how difficult it will be. People here can't leave. They are also pretty matter-of-fact that they don't know if they will be alive when we get back here. I think it's a valuable to make a commitment to those places, so I'd like to be able to plan on coming back here within a year or so. For all of us at the Rachel Corrie Foundation, Gaza remains key. Early this month, COVID-19 clearly became an issue here in Washington State. At the Rachel Corrie Foundation, as we learned of the growing number of cases and deaths, we moved quickly to cancel plans for our annual March 16th Olympia community event. For the past 17 years, this annual observance has recalled Rachel's stand in Gaza by emphasising community building, education and action. It became clear that COVID-19 crisis called for us to distance physically to do our part to protect our larger community from a potential health care collapse. This was, and continues to be, about making personal, organisational and governmental choices for the greater good. And we've continued to adjust 
Rachel Corey Foundation office procedures and our 2020 plans accordingly. While there are currently no reports of COVID-19 in Gaza, we understand that strong precautions are being taken to try and avoid an outbreak that would be devastating to its population of 2 million and its always stressed medical infrastructure. This virus, like the birds that fly between Israel, the West Bank and Gaza, won't recognise militarised boundaries and the siege. During this uncertain time, it is even more important to continue to support our friends in Gaza in in any optimistic endeavour they can safely undertake. We are currently in touch with our Gaza partners about their needs and how traditional Rachel Corey Foundation projects will likely need to be postponed, adapted or reimagined. The spirit, determination and creativity that we've seen so many of them exhibit should be a source of inspiration as we deal with our own COVID-19 challenges. This is a time for the imaginatively keeping our community connected, informed and functioning. All Rachel Corey Foundation personnel, staff and volunteers are rethinking and reprioritising our plans for 2020. We look forward to sharing these with you in upcoming weeks and as they are finalised. The time between the anniversaries of Rachel's death on March 16 and her birthday on April 10 have historically been critical for the Rachel Corey Foundation financially. Each year, so many of you have chosen to generously donate during this period, providing for general RCF support and to sustain our Gaza projects, scholarships and education and advocacy in the United States. At a time when businesses, non-profits and RCF partner organisations and many vulnerable families and individuals in our communities face significant financial uncertainty, we simply ask that you please do what you can to help so that this work will be important to us can continue. As we remember Rachel on this March 16, and as the COVID-19 crisis unfolds, it is the comfort and power of the local, regional, national and international communities that Rachel helped to create for us that we choose to remember, to prioritise, to hold close and to work with through it all. Let's stay connected. Thank you and in solidarity, Cindy and Craig Corey. It's no surprise that Rachel come from such a wonderful, giving and generous family. Um, We hope and pray that the work that they do will continue for those in Gaza that are so needed. Uh, listeners, I am sorry that this show has been so sombre. Um, Rachel holds a very special part, a special place uh, amongst Palestinians, and in particular amongst those who really feel for those and empathise with those in Gaza. For a young, white, blonde woman to give up all of her privilege in Washington, the United States, to travel around the world, uh, to stand shoulder by shoulder, and to ultimately pay the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, to stand in front of a bulldozer, thinking that the driver, that they had a shared connection as humans, that there would something would stop that man driving over her. Um, and until the, the truck drove over her, I'm sure she believed that he couldn't do it. Sadly, the reality has told us he did. She died. The world is lesser for it. The greater loss, the greater tragedy, the greater story is the fact that it was 17 years ago. And here we are, 17 years after that sacrifice, Gaza still under lockdown, still under siege. Shame on the world for allowing this to continue. Shame on the world for allowing Zionism to perpetuate the pain, suffering and indignity that is occurring there. Now something to lighten the mood. Elvis. Wise men say Only fools, only fools Alright, right, I hear 
family and I's favourite songs, Elvis in Hawaii, Can't Help Falling in Love With You. As a final note, listeners, please fall in love with your neighbours. There's no need to hoard. This is a time as a community for us to come together. So share, check on your elderly neighbours, love each other, look after each other, and free Palestine. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Palestine Remembered. Don't forget to download our podcasts and share them with your friends. Join APAN at apan.org.au. Thank you.